morning, everyone. Thank you for being here this weekend. I want to start our time this morning just talking about warning signs for a minute. Now, a warning sign is meant to be something that protects us from danger, but there are many of us who choose to just ignore warning signs altogether, right? Have you ever seen a sign that just made you want to do what the sign said not to do, right? There's some of us that are like that. Some of us would never do something like that. You know, I'm, all, I'm always disappointed when I find myself at a pool and there's a sign that says no diving because I'm really the type of person that's a child at heart and every time I'm at a pool, I just wanna dive in. That's just what I wanna do. I don't ease my way in, I just wanna dive in. And so when I see a sign that says no diving, I also usually just use my own judgment whether I need to heed that instruction or not, right? Whether I can make it out okay. And so I found this uh, picture of this guy who took this to a, a different level, the no diving sign. Um, you guys appreciated that more than last night. But you know, there also, <laughs> there's also people who see a sign and then for whatever reason, they just happen to disobey it, maybe because they weren't paying much attention, much like this lady. I found this pretty, I found this pretty humorous as I saw this. And I want to assume the best in this picture that maybe it was just taken at the wrong time or maybe she had a long blink. You know, maybe she stayed up late for New Year's or something like that. But then there are signs that feel like a challenge, right? Signs that, that feel like, oh, you don't, you don't think I can do that type sign, like that, that type of thing. And so one of the things that's true for me is anytime I get a package like this in the mail, it's immediately met with a challenge, right? Like I see that and go, oh, you don't, you don't think I can open this box with a knife? Watch this, right? Um, I believe I'm careful enough to disregard the warning and make it out okay. Warning signs are actually all over the place if you start paying attention. They're meant to protect us, meant to keep us from suing people, all types of things, right? But warning signs are also in the Bible. And in fact, Jesus taught parables that acted as warning signs to his listeners, the people who are listening to him teach. And as we get deeper into the New Testament, we see there are, there are actually a lot of things that are spelled out specifically to protect us. The question is, is what do we do with all of those things? Are we heeding all of that instruction? Now, on some level, a few of you in here are probably thinking like this, Matt, I'm kind of like you and those knives. I, I, I can hear the warning sign, but I also believe and I know that I can navigate this life well enough not to hurt myself. And, you know, that might be true. You may, you may be right in that. You may be doing a good job. But the problem with that logic and that thought process is that Jesus didn't really leave the room for us to interpret which ways we get to follow him and which ways we're exempt. That, that's just not the way that it works. And as we close out this year at church, I, I want to offer up a, a discussion that we can have together about a warning sign that we find, find from the Apostle John. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Chris actually shared these verses as a part of his message uh, on, on Christmas Eve, and he, he described it like this. Uh, it came down to pleasure, possessions, and prestige. Anybody remember that if you were here last week? Um, now, here's the deal, okay? I had already uh, developed this message in its entirety before Chris gave up, came up here and delivered that message, okay? And so I actually struggled with this a lot, and I would spend a part of my Christmas day thinking how I could write a new message, and I kind of just landed on, you know, maybe this is what the Holy Spirit wants for our church. Um, and so this is what we're going to do. We're going to take this text from 1 John, and we're going to break it down a little bit more. And it's something that was written 
um, nearly 2,000 years ago, yet it's very much like fine wine. The older that these words get, the more true they seem to be for all of us. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2. It's found near the end of the New Testament. Or if you have your phones with you, if you don't carry a Bible with you to church, you can also find it in the Bible app. I'd like to mention this to make sure everybody knows that within the Bible app, there's actually an event section that you can find Mount Pleasant and actually see all the text and all the points. Uh, Follow along right there and even take notes if you want to. So while you're all getting settled with your phones or your Bibles, let me give you some context for these words to help you understand why they were written. First John was written to believers in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And John doesn't spend his time outlining the gospel in this letter because they already understand the basics of the gospel. He spends his time specifically warning them against false teaching. Uh, And the majority of it is against false teaching, but then he also pushes them um, in their pursuit of a genuine relationship with Christ. And I think you should lean in and pay attention to these words today, not only because they were divinely inspired, but because they're very relevant for us today. We're not all that different than the, the believers that this was written to, and if these words can convict and challenge and, and encourage us today, my hope is that it would spark something inside of you that would make you live a little bit different or a little closer to Jesus in the next year. So with all that said, I wanna invite you to stand with me as we read our text. It'll be also be on the screen. We do this every week to honor God's word as a part of our service. First John chapter two, verses 15 through 17. I'll be reading from the NLT. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. All right, guys, thank you. You could be seated. Now, I've got some specific things from this text that I think that we all need to be reminded of, but before I introduce those, I want us to all be on the same page about something because you probably picked up and noticed that you heard John mention the world several times in that text. Now, the word that we use for world in English comes from a single Greek word, Cosmos, and that's found all over the New Testament um, that, that we see. Cosmos means this. It means order, the world, or the universe, but it also means worldly affairs or the inhabitants of the world. Now, as you look at that definition, you can see that there are some variant differences between that translation of that word and the meaning of the word in our understanding, right? The word can refer to the world, the spherical, round world that's made up of water and land that our feet are on right now. That's one way to describe the world, but it also can describe the people who live in the world, right? We say the world and, and the people, but it also can describe the way of the world, worldly affairs. Now, let me give you some examples of how this looks in scripture. We're all familiar with John 3.16, right? We see that all over the place. This is one example. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? That is an example of the world in terms of the people of the world, right? God didn't love 
the world in terms of the round world. Now, he may love the world, that, but, he, but what this means is he loves the people of the world so much that he sent his son. So that's one way. We also see the world in terms of the world or the universe in Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. That's the other way to, to uh, translate cosmos is the world, this actual world that we can see and touch. But then the last way is found also in 1 John chapter five. And it says, who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. That's the cosmos in terms of the way of the world. Not a battle against the physical world or the people, but the ways of the world. And for our text today, you can pretty clearly see that John is referring to the world as the ways of the world. Worldly affairs. And this is something we're all familiar with because we're all surrounded by it in our culture. The ways of the world. In this context, the term world is a reference to the fallen man-centered system or a way of life that is in opposition to God. This is so important for us to understand what this word means as we develop this. It is the system or the way of life that's in opposition to God. John gives a specific understanding of this in verse 16, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but I wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page about this word, the world, because the command is to not love the world. And so that means that when we do, when we do love the world, we are in opposition to God. Love is a very Christian word, right? We, we know that uh, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We know that. We know that we're, we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. I mean, even Jesus told us to love our enemies. So, so love is something that we're called to, but not here, not the world. People, yes, but not, not, not the spiritual realm of the world and its ways that are opposed to God and his ways, that we are specifically told not to love. And I wanna show you why that is in our scripture. I wanna show you the reason behind that. Our outline today is simple because it comes directly from the text that we read in 1 John, but I'm also gonna toss a lot, and I mean a lot of supporting scripture your way. So if you like to take notes, you're gonna need to be ready because it's just gonna be all over the place. Here's the first thing, okay? The world cannot give you what you need. This is why we are called not to love the world. The world cannot give you what you need. Sounds simplistic, but in, re in reality, many of us or people that you know are living as though it can. It's become clear that the, the longing of the human heart is to be loved and to love. That's ultimately what life comes down to. That, that, that's what we need. And so when we give our love to the things of this world, it's to not give it to the Father, right? That sounds harsh, but ultimately this is true. This is what John said in verse 15. He says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. You don't get to do both, right? This, this requires everything. This is everything or nothing at all. When you love the world, you don't love the Father. We forget that sometimes this whole Christianity thing, this following Jesus thing, actually requires all of us. Jesus reminded us this when he said this, no one can serve two masters, right? Either you will hate the one 
and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And so Jesus lays this out. Hate and love, devoted and despise, very different. In fact, Jesus had a brother named James and after Jesus was um, killed and crucified and, and then resurrected, James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And as he wrote to first century believers, this is what he said. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You cannot love the world and love God the way that he made you to love him. They are in fact opposites. They oppose each other in ideology, in direction, in purpose, and in all things, the ways of the world are in opposition to God and they cannot coexist in the heart of a believer. Now, let me give you an example of what this can look like. My kids are actually getting a weird dose of figuring this out right now. Let me explain. Um, my extended family, my wife's side of the family, they all follow the ways of the world, all of them. They're all Purdue fans, okay? <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but they all are. And I've tried to tell my kids, right? I was like, listen, where we live, we're right down the road from IU. We're gonna root for the Hoosiers. We're gonna sing the song. We're gonna find some candy striped pants. We're gonna do all the things, right? But we've got family. We've got family that are trying to influence them in the other direction. And it's really, really hard parenting to, to navigate this whole thing, okay? Now, my kids are pretty young, okay? So they haven't like figured all of this out yet. And so they've asked before. They've said, well, why can't we just like them both, all right? And I'm like, well, that's just not the way this works, right? It's just, that's just not the way this works. I don't know who wrote the rules, but you can't. I've seen that it's okay to like Notre Dame football and IU basketball. Like you can do those two things together, but not IU and Purdue. You cannot root and like for both of them. If you like one, you have to ridicule the other. Like that's, those are the rules. Get that through your heads, silly kids. This is, this is what it looks like. And that's silly, but... This is exactly what Jesus and John are communicating. If you love one, you despise the other. If you love one, you cannot love the other. And yet how many of us, although hearing the warning sign, we still have a fond love and appreciation for the things of this world? Because it's right there in scripture. How many of us can clearly understand how rivalries work and that you can't have a foot in both camps and yet we act like that's not how it works in the kingdom of God? It's a dangerous way to live and the reality is that the world cannot give you the love that you need. We must recognize that turning even good things into God things becomes a bad thing. It's to give our love to a lesser love, to, to one that can't ever satisfy the, the longings of our heart. And all of us are guilty of this on many levels. I'm not exempt from this. I'm right there with you. And that's why we have to talk about this. We have to wrestle with this. If we are made to love and to be loved, that love needs to come from and to God alone. He is the only one worthy of it. He is the only one who can give it back to us in a way that is meaningful and fulfilling. The world cannot give you the love that you seek. And one of the hardest things for me about working with young people 
is that they often choose to learn this the hard way. Many of us have done that as well, right? We've learned this the hard way. We should know better. The world, it just cannot give you what you need. And so if we look for love and happiness and satisfaction in the places that it can't be, I could start to list all those places, but I want you to I want you to pay attention to the rest of this and not be offended. The sooner that we come to terms with this reality, with this truth, the sooner that we can begin finding that love that we desire in the right place, and that's God himself. And so here's what we also see. If that's the first one that can't give us what we need, the world cannot give you what it promises. This is the problem that we all encounter when we wrestle with the world and what it offers us. It just cannot deliver on what it promises. Now, for those of you who work in business or, or marketing, you're probably familiar with this term. You know that it is better to under-promise and over-deliver, right? And, and so what that looks like is if uh, you, you say, well, the package will be there in five days, but it actually shows up in two days, right? That makes all of us happy. Or if you say the warranty covers this, but in reality, you're actually willing to cover a whole lot more than that, um, that, that's, that's great, right? Your customer experience is a whole lot better when you get more than what you were promised. But the problem is, that's not the way the world works when it comes to our needs. The world is going to overpromise and underdeliver. And that's bad business, right? We all know that's bad business, but that's the way the world works. The world will promise you all of the things, but actually not deliver on any of the things that your soul actually needs right now. Look at these words again from John in verse 16. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see in pride in our achievements and possessions. The world offers only a craving. In the Greek, that word craving is epithumia, and it's broken down, and it means this. It's a desire, a passionate longing, and even a lust. This is what this word means when we think of a craving. Now, you may not believe me, but the more I've kind of wrestled with this, this is likely one of the most important verses in the Bible. It identifies in vivid terms the weapons that the world uses to seduce men and women like you and me into joining its side. I want you to look at the verse again, and and, and I'll I'll show you this. Look at the screen. You can see when it says a craving for physical pleasure, that's the lust of the flesh. A craving for everything we see, that's the lust of the eyes. And pride in our achievements and possessions, that's the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride. Those are the weapons. We see it over and over again. And to make it worse, those are the same weapons that Satan used at the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden to slay Adam and Eve at the beginning of humanity. Look at this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now, we're all familiar with this story, right? And this is one of the first things we teach our kids as they become Christians is the story of creation and maybe even how things went south in this moment. But as we take a closer look, we see exactly what's happening. Look again at the verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, it's the lust of the flesh and pleasing to the eye 
the lust of the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. It's the pride. Those are the, it's the same tactics. It's the, it's the same weapons. And here's how, also how I know it's the same tactics. It's the same things that Jesus had to conquer when he was in the desert and the devil beckoned him with temptation. You remember the story, right, in Luke chapter four, as Jesus, uh, right before he began his public ministry, um, he, he was taken into the desert and he fasted for 40 days. And at the end of that, he was tempted by Satan. And we saw Satan tempt him by turning stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. And then, he, and then he says, I want to show you the kingdoms of the world. This can all be yours. Look at it. That's the lust of the eyes. And then he says, throw yourself down. The angels will certainly save you. They wouldn't let you die. That is pride. It's the same tactics over and over again. In fact, Jesus actually conquered all of the things that Adam and Eve failed at. And ultimately, Jesus over-delivered on his promise of being a Messiah when he went to the cross once and for all mankind, for all time, so that every single one of us has an opportunity for a relationship with him because of what he did for us through his death and his resurrection. Now, I wanna pause here because if you're listening today and this is all new to you and you don't, I mean, you're hearing me talk about not loving the world and things like that, but you've actually never really experienced the love of Jesus. I would just beg you not to leave today without talking with someone or praying with someone about that because it can and will change your life. But I don't want you to be confused. It won't take away your problems in this world. Jesus said that himself, that we would have problems. The ways of the world promise that you find success and happiness and love in all the wrong places. It is a tactic, it is a trap, and it is a lie. And we have to know this. One of my favorite actors is Jim Carrey, and he's starred in so many awesome roles. Lloyd Christmas, right, from Dumb and Dumber. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, we, we also have... Um, you know, Ace Ventura, Bruce Almighty, even the Grinch. Jim Carrey uh, has been all over the place and acted in so many places. But a couple years ago, he had a, he had a comment that he made, I, I believe it was on a podcast, and um, it just made me think and reminded me of this. Here's what he said. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. It's not at all the answer. It's not at all what it promises. And if you are looking to the things of this world, which is anything other than God or a relationship with Christ to give you purpose and identity and direction or happiness, the world will underdeliver. They always will. You'll never be satisfied. You will never find what you need. You will always be looked, looking for, for, for that thing that is missing. And so friends, can I warn you not to be fooled by the promises of the world. Guard yourself against your appetites and your affections and your ambitions, which are the, the lust of your, your flesh and, and your eyes and the pride in life. And look instead to the promises that God has made for us to follow. I love the example in the, the last closing words of Joshua. You remember Joshua's story? Moses was an incredible leader that led Israel um, out of Egypt and did um, some amazing things. But uh, when he died, um, Joshua took over and Joshua led for a long time as well. But at the end of Joshua's life, 
He brings all of Israel together to give some final words. And this is what he says in Joshua chapter 23. He says, now I'm about to go all the way of the earth, which is, I'm about to die. He says, you know, with all of your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And that is the truth that we all stand on that God is trustworthy, that he keeps his promises, that you can trust him. You can trust him with all of your life because he can actually deliver on every promise that he makes. Remember how the, ver- the verse ends, going back to 1 John. He says all these things, right? Oh, the, 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 the cravings and, 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 the, and the pleasures and, and, and um, all of these things. He says, these are not from the Father. They are from this world. And so church, we are called to be separate and different from this world. And that starts with what we're chasing after. So all of this really leads to our last point, which is really important because the world cannot give you what will last. And I don't think I actually need to spend a ton of time explaining this because it's, uh, it's pretty fundamental. The things of the world are exactly that, of this world, they won't last. Now, have you ever heard the phrase, enjoy it while it lasts, right? Uh, My wife and I, we've heard that over the years, uh, last couple years, as some very well-intentioned people uh, see us with our kids, and they'll say something like, enjoy it while it lasts. Why? Because they grow up so fast, right? Now, some of you are nodding your heads because you're like, you know that's true, and I'll be honest, in the middle of it, it's kind of hard to understand. It's kind of hard to like wrap your head around because you're dealing with all the things, the fights and the temper tantrums and, and all that kind of stuff. And deep down, I, I imagine, well, I, I, know, I know that you're right. I know that they do grow up so fast. And in fact, here in church, we encourage parents by saying, it's just a phase, so don't miss it. It's, it's just a phase, so don't miss it. It's the idea that moments with kids, they come and they go. They don't last forever. We've seen that even in the, in the few short years that our kids are growing and developing. And as a parent, as parents, we're trying to, to see that. And so when my kids, they want us to lay down with them at night, you know, more often than not, we're like, okay, we'll do that. Even though that's maybe not the thing that we want to do. Or when they want to decorate our house into a movie theater or something like that. Yesterday was a salon, right? True story. Our house turned into a salon yesterday. My wife got her hair braided in five different ways. My hair was combed for 20 minutes. It's just. (laughs) Or when they want us to play a game with them. We recognize it's just a phase. And it won't last forever. And so we have to soak it in and we have to enjoy it while it lasts. And and it can go by very, very quickly. Even in the middle of it, you don't feel like it is, but when you look back on it, some of you know this is true. I don't know it completely, but it does go by quickly. And the same is true of this world and everything in it. Here's how John said it. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The world cannot give you what will last. It never has, and it never will. John found it important enough 2,000 years ago to remind these believers of this truth. How much more of a reminder do we need today? This world 
will not last. In fact, Jesus himself said this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Only God can offer what is eternal. That's not new information. We know this, yet how many people are chasing after, spending money on, spending time on, and dedicating their lives to the temporary? This is the problem. Church, what would be different in your life? You, your life, what would be different this year if you replaced something worldly with something godly? Right? Could, I mean, could you just spend a second thinking about that for a, for a moment? If you replace one hour of, of video games or, or one football game a week or, or one day of social media or whatever it is and you replace it with something godly, something spiritual, what would change? Would your life begin to reflect more of chasing after the things of God rather than the things of the world? And here's why I mention all of this is that we simply cannot be the type of people that have a foot in both places. One foot in the world and one foot in church. And let me be clear, I'm not asking you to not participate in the world. That's, that's not even possible. I'm asking you to do as the, world, the word commands and to not love the world. Because if you aren't intentional, your love can be misplaced. We have to choose. We gotta choose this life. This has to be a decision. It won't be easy, but it is necessary. Look at these words, a few more things that Jesus said. He says, if you belong to the world, it would not love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He has chosen us out of the world, not to be in it, or to chase after it. Jesus also said this about people who would figure this out. Matthew chapter seven, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Sadly, most people won't figure this out. Most people will follow after chase, live in, and love this world. And only a few will find the things that are eternal, the things that over-deliver, and the things that truly matter. Will you be one of them? Because when you decide to fully pursue Jesus, you leave behind the things and your love of this world. Look at how Paul said it, Galatians chapter six, as he finishes up this letter. He says, as for me, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. My interest in the world, the cosmos, the way of the world is dead to me. You remember the hymn, the song that we sang, the things of earth grow strangely dim. That's what this looks like. I pray that we all can sing those words truthfully or, or replicate these words from Paul in our lives as, as well, because I imagine Paul felt this deeply. He did, in fact, leave so much behind to pursue and to follow after Jesus. But I want to end our time telling you about um, someone named Demas. Demas was actually uh, someone in the Bible who was a companion of Paul. You may not be familiar with him, but at the end of the book of Colossians, Paul starts listing out some thank yous and, and uh, recommendations to people. And he lists about 10 different people 
uh, for their companionship in the gospel and the ministry and the work of the kingdom. And Demas was one of those 10 people at the end of Colossians. He, he lists them. His name is so significant that he's, he's listed in scripture as someone that was important enough to thank for their work of the gospel. The question is, why don't we know who Demas is? Why aren't we naming our kids Demas? Well, Colossians was written around the year 62. And around the year 65, Paul penned his second letter to Timothy. Timothy was another companion of Paul in in gospel ministry. And he writes him this letter. And at the end of his letter to Timothy, he had a different thing to say about Demas. Look what it says. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, I don't know about you, but I can feel Paul's pain as he writes that. A trusted companion in gospel ministry has left him. Why? Not because of an emergency, because he loved the world more. And when I read that and I study that, the only thing that I can, I can think of is, this cannot be my story. I, this cannot be the way that I'm remembered. This cannot be our story. We cannot love the world because we know, we all know that it won't last. John gives us the warning sign. It's on all of us to listen to the instruction and to pursue the things of God rather than the things of the world and your love will follow. And so I wanna ask you to consider a question as an application, as something that you can take away and and maybe put this into practice. It's the question that I asked you earlier. What is something worldly that you can replace with something godly? And if you could take a picture or just write it down or something, because if you walk out of here and and, and just think, man, that was a really good message, but you don't do something like this, then it, it doesn't mean anything. If we all did this, if we all did this, it would be a lot of small steps towards loving God more and the world less. Which in turn, it would affect your relationships. It affect the example that you set for your kids, maybe your grandkids or your coworkers or your friends. And it gets you closer to the love of the father that we all desperately need for the longing of our heart. Here's what this all comes down to, is that we pursue the eternal love of God over the temporary love of the world. And friends, I promise you, if you made some new choices to put this sentence into action, your life would be different. Jesus can set you free from the patterns and the addictions of this world. You just have to make the choice. God wants your heart. And in return, he will give you his. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. We recognize that um, our decisions and our direction in our life are futile if we are not pursuing you and grateful for what you have already accomplished on our behalf. God, we can't be perfect, but you are perfect. So thank you for Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection that give us a hope for eternity beyond this world. But Lord, I'm praying two things. One, if there are people in this room, in this space today, that have not experienced or know the love of Jesus, that they wouldn't walk out of here today without exploring that. 
But secondly, Lord, for the rest of us, I just pray and I ask that you would help us to see maybe where our heart needs to be convicted or challenged in this moment of of where we're giving our time and our energy and our passion to, whether it's the things of this world and to turn and to pursue the things that are eternal. Lord, help us to do that. It is not easy. It is not easy, but with your help, Lord, we can pursue the things that are eternal. We ask your blessing on us and into the new year, Lord. Thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. In his name I pray, amen. 